0: You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast.
1: Christopher Media, let's make some noise. I'm not going. Honey, you're going to have all these fans lining up to meet you. I know. You're going to sign a few DVDs
0: and then come back to me. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Pete O'Shea Show. I'm excited right now because Jonathan's going to be signing Chain Face Clown, the Blu-ray re-release. Go see him today
1: fans come to the show to sleep with their favorite horror star
0: which is you hey i'm jonathan blakely my name's emily do you want to hang out later there's a tattoo of my face on your leg are you freaked out i
1: really have to get going you and i were just so good together it was like i finally met my soulmate we
0: should just keep in touch online
1: you're staying right Ah. here this is your new home i'm chain face's biggest fan Ah. Kid? Are you awake? Where am I right now? What's going on? You and I could write a prequel to show how that killer came to life. Oh, Get out of
0: here now! You love having your fans fawn over you. Can I confess something to you? I just want to go home. I won't let you. Ah! I now
1: have a part of you with me. Always.
0: Scream! Ah! You told me about you. A maniac like you doesn't even know not love is! Goodbye, Jonathan. Let us go, please.
1: Lights out! Hey, folks, welcome to a special episode of The Projection Booth. On this episode, you're going to hear from Oliver Robbins. He is the director and star of Celebrity Crush, a fairly new horror film. Kind of more of a suspense thriller, I suppose you would call it. You will hear more from Mr. Robbins later on in the year when we do our episode on Poltergeist. So strap in and hope you enjoy. So I'm going to ask you to help me out again with the timeline as far as what happens post-1986, because there are so many things that are going on. I'm reading that you were a stockbroker, that you went to USC. I mean, what's happening with this?
0: 1986, I was still in high school at the time, and then it came down to the point. It was really interesting. I was talking to my agent, and he said, Oliver, he took me into his office, and he said, look, Oliver, you have to tell me the truth. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. Now, I understand you're going to college, but I'm going to need you to tell me, if you if I have an audition for you, what's your priority? Your priority? Do you have a physics exam or or, or going you're studying your lines and learning them to the best of your ability and getting that part? And I said, honestly, it's going to be the physics exam because my focus is my education right now. And he said, well, I'm, I appreciate your honesty, but I can't handle you because you're going to be dealing with adult actors now. You're not a your kid anymore who are very good, and you're going to be fighting for these roles with the best. So I going to put you out there. When you go to this Warner Brothers, you have to be putting your best foot forward. And I said, well, I'm going to put my best foot forward, but at the same time, my education is my priority. He said, well, I can't handle you, but I think you're making the best decision. So it was kind of a, a bittersweet moment. You know, he took my hand and we walked out of the office together and he wished me the best. And he actually said, I think you're really making the best decision in your life. He thought it was critical that I get my education. And that's what I did. So I applied to USC film school. And after a long struggle, I almost didn't get in. I finally did. I went to SC in 1989. I had the best time of my life. I met all my friends who are also filmmakers. And what's so wonderful at USC film school, you're not just learning from great teachers and you're in LA, you're learning with people who are so passionate about making movies. That's what they do. They you eat dream and sleep cinema at USC. And so like during the week, you go to your classes and then you shoot on the weekend and at night you watch movies and you went we went to a place called the New Beverly Together, um, which is a theater in LA, which was bought actually by and Tarantino. And they show old great movies and movies you really want to be able to watch on the on the big screen. But anyhow, so yeah, I went to USC, I graduated. And then I you know, I was writing, I was making little movies and you know, unfortunately, like everyone else, I was like, God, I, I gotta I gotta make a living. I'm out of money, I have no money. I didn't really make that much child acting. So I was like, you know, what should I do? And I, I, I grew up in the world of Wall Street. So I said, you know, I'll try my hand at doing investments and stock brokerage, So I took all the securities exams and I whipped through those and they're you know, they were pretty easy. So I became a stockbroker and I, I had a lot of fun actually doing it. There's some movies in there, and I wasn't in like the best brokerage firms. I wasn't at Merrill Lynch. I was in places that you wouldn't really want to be a broker, but it would make for great movies, you know, great material for a movie. So, <laughs> but I still had a blast and I worked with some great people, and there's so much more to the security world than actually just, you know, people think, oh, he's only in it to make money. It's really an adventure, and there's so much to it that so would actually. Be a good movie, and we might see that one day. So I did that, and you know, and after a while, I was like, you know, I'm really not following my passion. I'm not. I went to film school, and I'm a movie maker, and I know how to make films, and this is what I've been trained to do. Why am I not doing it? So I I got back into that, and then I got together with my friends at USC, and I said, hey, we're gonna make a movie for like almost no money, and made this little movie called Dumped. And it had a little girl from, was grown up now, from National Opinions Vacation, this other actor from the show called Providence on NBC. And this was like in the 90s. And I said, okay, we're going to shoot this movie. I've never directed a feature before in my life. And I don't know if anyone who's ever directed a feature for the first time. It's the scariest, most terrifying experience. It's like running a marathon that you just don't know if you're really going to get through. And even though I'd acted before movies, once you're in the director's seat, it's an entirely like different experience. Mr. Snowberg and Mr. Hooper and, you know, Mr. Scorsese, they make it look easy. So we shot this little dump, this little comedy called Dumped. And it actually, it turned out great. And we had the best time doing it. And it was great because I had the support from all my buddies. And we were all into the age, we were probably all into the age of like 25 years old at the time too. And finished it up and it was released at Hollywood Video. And being at the Hollywood, the video stores at that time was amazing because had like a thousand stores. And this is before the time of the internet before Netflix. So if you wanted someone to see your movie at that time, it had to be at like Blockbuster or Hollywood Video. And it was. So it was just so cool to be able to watch it there. And it turned out great. And the actors all did a great job. I really followed what, you know, Silver told me, he said, shoot from your heart, make a movie from your heart. And he said, "Compassion will always win over camera." That was his quote to me, and it was really true because it really didn't have any special effects. It was a little romantic comedy, but it was heartfelt and it was meaningful. And I think people really liked it at the time. And it's still actually for sale in Italy, believe it or not. I, I just checked, and it's like on eBay, and I, it's not for sale anymore. I think in the U.S., but the Italian version is still out there after all these years. And I think the, the Italians must really love it. Yeah, after I did that, I moved on and I just continued writing and working on various scripts. And I rewrote some scripts for people. And you can actually make money, uh, believe it or not, in Hollywood rewriting scripts, things that might never get made. Like this one comes to me and I say, Oliver, oh, I'm looking for The Sting, but I want it in space. And Or can you punch up the dialogue or can you do this? So I did that for a lot of things that actually never really got made. Like, I worked on one with my friend Paul Tedisco, um, who I met at USC Film School, and he's written for a lot of, like, great filmmakers. Uh, We wrote one for Brian Singer, who we met at at SC. And we thought Brian, you know, was really talented, and we came up with the idea, and we wrote it at Fox with him. That never got made. But the movie would still be great. And, you know, Brian had a lot of really good ideas, and this entire team at Fox uh, were just such cool people from USC, actually, too. So I, I ended up working with a lot of my friends. And then eventually I wrote this other script and it sat for a little while called You've Got a Friend. And that became a Hallmark channel movie. And I never intended to make a Hallmark movie. I I thought, honestly, Hallmark movies are really cheesy and kind of dumb. I mean, no offense to Hallmark, but that's kind of what I thought up to that point. But now I love Hallmark movies and I'm kind of converted to them. And they made it. And it was such a special little film and everyone – and they don't have a lot of money to make these movies. But everyone tried so hard to make it the best film they possibly could, and the director did a storyboard. He even showed me a shot list. John Schneider was the lead in it. He would sit and talk with me at lunch and say, "You know, this is what I have in mind." And I talked to him about it because I was just a writer, and I told him, "This is what I think. This is what I felt." So it was. It turned out to be the highest rated June premiere at Hallmark Channel, and they also made an educational program of it. You know, um, and to, to show people how to be a hero, how to kids, how to what to look up to, and how to be a hero in your life. And I never intended to ever be part of education. I wanted to do edgy movies or romantic comedies or, or sex comedies. Before, after, I did a movie called Roomies, Wild Roomies. And it was a wacky comedy and had all the actors from those 90s films. And we shot it. And actually, I did a cinematographer who's actually Kevin Smith's DP on quirks, uh, Dave Klein, he was great to work with. I had so much fun working with Dave. And really, we had a blast making Roomies because it was kind of a raunchy, comedy um i never directed naked actors before and they don't teach you that you see i believe it or not actually i don't think at the time i was there it wasn't even allowed i think with their sag contract because you you're using sag talent the union talent you're not allowed to uh show any nudity so i had no experience with that whatsoever so um i learned about that on that movie too so it was it was kind of cool
1: tell me a little bit about uh wishes one regret because you were so many things on there you were even your own cinematographer on that
0: Yeah, that movie was extremely challenging. I wrote a script about this young couple who's everything in the lake of the recession. I mean, they're totally, completely wiped out. The young wife says, you know, she's spoiled and she can't live a life without all the privileges that she had become accustomed to. So she tells her, you know, young husband says, you know what? We have twenty nine thousand dollars left on our credit cards. Let's use what we have. And, and then, and then kill ourselves because life is not worth living. And she's in, and it sounds really drastic, but she's really in a state of horrible depression. And he kind of goes along with it. And we discover with these characters that what they value most in life. It was easy when things were good. It was easy because they could live the life that they had grown accustomed to and they really didn't have to focus on each other. But when you have nothing and you're relying upon one another and that's all you have, it really is a test for any kind of relationship. So they go on this adventure, spending money and living the life they wanted, They were going to live. And when it runs out there, that's her plan, at least. He's not going to go along with it, potentially. And um, they discover certain things, things about each other and the relationship and what they truly value about one another and in life. So I, I made this movie with just a couple friends. I pretty much uh, many times it was just me, another friend who was doing sound, and we shot it. On the weekends, and I said, you know, I'd call up the action. I said, "Hey, are you available? Can you come out here for two hours? I want to shoot this scene." And they're like, "You know your line, like we know our line." So they come over for two hours, and we would shoot. It was kind of an adventure. I used my other friend who sometimes shot for me, Shaba, and he was this great editor, cinematographer, and we used his camera equipment and then we said on one of the scenes we said okay we have we want to go to vegas and we're like oh my god we don't have the money to shoot get purple locations so we said when we went there we said we're gonna shoot we're shooting a, a wedding video and the two actors began to believe in the roles because they began dating on the set so a lot of those scenes seem very real because they really are Um uh, so the kissing scenes are really they're really kissing so i'm like okay and that's kind of a danger they say with actors because you know if they break up when you're shooting it could potentially be, be a disaster because they won't even be, want to be on the same, you know, set together, but we did it and it turned out great. And it was and my mistake with that film was I didn't enter in festivals. I got a distributor who pretty much, um, and you're going to hear this from a lot of filmmakers pretty much ripped me off. I never heard from again after the film was released. That was kind of disheartening. And then the film was pirated, but I was getting calls, you know, from Malaysia. And I was thinking, why am I getting like crank calls from Malaysia? It turned out the film had been pirated in Malaysia and they loved it in Malaysia for some reason. And my, the master of the film had been stolen, which had my cell phone number on it. So they were calling me up and they're like, I know it's crazy. Um, <laughs> so they, I heard, they were like telling me like how much they really loved the movie in Malaysia, but you know, it was a universal love story and, and so many people in this world were so wiped out and just dis- disheartened by the recession in 08. And you know, it was it was a great experience because I, I learned to edit again and I, I put into place all the classes at film school. I mean I had to shoot and edit and pretty much had to do everything on that one. Um I was an actor, which was a good thing on that. I don't think I could have done everything.
1: But you definitely are the main actor in celebrity crush. How did you come up with the story for that one? I was going to these
0: horror conventions and I was thinking, what would happen if I got seduced by you know, one of my fans? And then I thought to myself What's the worst case scenario? I mean, what's the worst possible thing that could possibly happen? And that was Celebrity Crush. And then I was thinking, you know, this is, this is an independent film. Let's have some fun with it. Let's combine black comedy a little bit, make it a little dark. We won't go with the traditional tropes of horror because I can never do that on a studio film. They make me be very clear. So I said, you know, let's, we're not spending a million dollars on this film. Let's experiment a little bit. So that's what I kind of did with that. And it was kind of a test to see what our audience is going to think on mixed in black comedy, you know, and honestly, in Hollywood today, black comedies are very difficult to that man. And I kind of understand why, because a lot of people didn't get what I was really doing. Not even to this day, a lot of people see the movie and it's really strange. I have people that absolutely love it. They love it so much. And I had one person come up to me and said, I hate your movie. I hate it. I hate everything about it. I don't even like any acting. I don't like anything about them. And I said, nothing, There's nothing about them. And you're like, no. Absolutely hate it. So I, I kind of touched a chord, and I see that sometimes, and maybe it's a generational thing. But I just love making films like that. It's just make people talk, and I don't want to make a film where people are just simply they're just bored and they don't they don't care about it at all. And it gave me a chance to do what I did in film school because I had the same kind of experiences at SC. I make films that really kind of sometimes push buttons, not intentionally, but I guess that's just something from my heart that I would do. So this allowed me to do that. Something I I could have never done like on a Hallmark Channel movie or anything like that. It was a lot of fun to do. And we got together. Uh, I went with my friend Michael Baumgarn to go shoot this thing. And I said I had a little bit of money to start with. And he said, "Okay, we can. we have nine days to shoot this film. But we shoot it in Florida because it's cheaper to shoot it there. I'm like, okay, let's go. So we go to Florida, and we cast some great actors, Alicia Schneider and Melissa um, McCurney. And we're all out of Florida. And I'm like, we have nine days. And I'm a little scared because I'm told that we have to shoot sometimes 17 pages a day. I mean, which if you're a filmmaker, you're like, oh, my God, how did you even get an intelligible story in 17 pages? But we did it. We, we shot, and we didn't go beyond 12 hours. As I say, we, we made our day every day and i have to tell you if i had not you know made films prior to that i don't think we would have been able to get through it considering i was also acting in every scene as well so then we finished the movie and we're like oh we need to shoot some more stuff so this wonderful team gb and Tal from private film they came in and they're like we really love your movie all and i'm like really and i'm like yeah we and i said well i need a couple more bucks to go shoot some more stuff i want to do and so I get this awesome crew from this last movie I did called Devil's Whisper, which I worked on out with Adam Rip, who actually did his own little edit for me on my movie, too. Uh, after my editor, Jeff Rubin, who's awesome, too, like in how how much work he had. You have no idea how much work he had to do, but he had to do a tremendous amount of work. And I wasn't going to edit this thing after it cutting 29,000 wishes. So then we shoot a little more and we put these things together. We start playing with it. And then we need, we had really, really bad sound. I mean, like the worst possible now. We're shooting on these roads and we're shooting so fast. So we ended up having like ADR, like most of the movie. I loved ADR as a kid, so it was really kind of fun to do. So, we ended up ADRing the whole film, and we have a great sound guy who comes in and does all our sound work. And my composer came from USC Scoring School, and we have this, if I say so myself, he's so talented. um, And a great score we had, and really gives it like a a certain feel to it, coupled with all the songs that are in the movie. So, it was definitely having acting in it, and the schedule, and all those crazy things that are going on. And, you know, it was definitely a real challenge to, like, pull this one off. It was probably the most challenging little movie that I've ever done in my life.
1: Yeah. How is that directing yourself?
0: It's very difficult. And I think it became even more difficult on this because uh, I could really, we had no time to play back and watch dailies or even not even dailies. We had no time to actually, I had no time to watch my performance, so which made it tough, like. If you're if you're directing yourself, I highly recommend every filmmaker listening to this. If you plan to act in your movie and do an Orson Welles situation, schedule the time to watch your dailies and watch yourself in the film, because you, you, you I don't know if you can really maintain tone or know where you are in terms of story. And unless you're super experienced, you know, and even then, I think you probably still need it. You need to be able to see where you are in terms of performance between all your coverage because, like with every film, we're shooting it completely out of order and you have to know if you're at a 10 or an 8 in terms of terror and where you need to place yourself in terms of the scene. With that intense, crazy, fast schedule, it became extremely challenging to be able to do
1: that with this movie. How did you find Alyssa Schneider? Because she is just fantastic.
0: Michael Baumgarten had used her in a couple other movies that he had made and I said, we need someone who's quirky, fun, pretty, and just that's, that's completely different sides to the performance. And what we're really going for, we need someone that would be able to seduce me. I wouldn't need you no know off the bat who was completely, completely crazy. And I, when I was directing Alyssa, I was like, you know, we want to have in this scene a moment, just a little taste, a little moment. So if you watch this film again, you can say, oh, I see it. I see her insanity. But not enough where my character, Jonathan Blakely, would be like, Oh my God, I don't want to, I would never go home with you. Um, And then I'd run away. So it was, it was a real balance. It was a push and pull. So it's like you have the hills and the valleys of insanity. And then she could really cut loose when she was terrorizing. She could be who she was. What I learned at UFC, and I loved like Abbott and Costello and all those, and those kind of movies. And even, you know, Bob Hope kind of films, you always have to pick who's going to be the funny guy. Who's going to be the straight guy. And horror is really the same way, especially with black comedy like this. She could be the over-the-top person, the crazy one, the person who, when she reads the script out loud, she sounds absurd. I mean, she's so over-the-top and so crazy. And I had to play it straight. So my job was to be always play it real, as real as I possibly could. But at the same time, she's doing these crazy, absurd things that you don't know if you should laugh at or you should scream at. You know, um, and I won't give anything away. I'll let everyone watch the movie and go rent it or buy it. You got those kind of moments, so that that was really challenging for Alyssa to be able to do those kind of scenes, and I, I think she really did it—you know—pull it
1: off. When and where did the film premiere? It premiered at the
0: Dances with Film Film Festival, which is this great film festival in LA, and they have it at the Man Chinese Theater. It's actually at the Man, I guess, the TLC or TCL Chinese Theater now, and it says. A wonderful place for a filmmaker to see your movie. if it's an independent film festival or independent filmmakers, it's not like for studios. Warner Brothers won't release their film at you know, it dances a film. It's for little guys like me who make my movies kind of films. And the two organizers are just amazing and they saw the film and they're like, Yeah, we'll put your movie in here. And they have a they have a little category which is really fun. They have a midnight screen. So you stay up late at night, you watch your film at the Man Chinese Theater, and you get to see it. In this theater, which you know Star Wars you know premiered at, and they have the best sound possible—I mean, the best. So you get the sound. You know, if you're, you didn't do a good job mixing your movie, you're going to find out very rapidly. We showed the movie there, and you know, honestly, I saw it and I was like, you know, we got to work on this thing some more. You know, and it was a great way to see it. So it's one of the first times I, I saw it with an audience. So we did, and I got to go with my friends. And we worked on it and we trimmed things or like, and they really do that in all bigger films too, but we didn't have the money to do any test screenings at the time. So that kind of was, that kind of was our test screen. And we went into it and we definitely made it a lot better. And I was really happy to have, you know, that opportunity and the audience really liked it. I saw what the potential this film was uh, when we showed it Dance of the Films that night. Because I'd never been able to watch it and hear, what are people laughing at? Should we extend that joke? Should we cut that scene? Does that not work? And you really don't know that until you watch it with an audience because you're playing it in your head.
1: You've been in the business for 40 years now and you've seen so many changes. You know, we've seen VHS come in and go and DVDs and now streaming and all this. It's got to make your head spin. I mean, where do you even go now that you have this finalized version of Celebrity Crush? Where does it go to next? Does it start streaming? Is it on DVD? Do you even make physical media anymore?
0: It's actually available right now, and you can watch it. Visit my sales pitch. You can watch your own Voodoo and Amazon Prime and, and Google Play and I think Xbox, too. It's on all the, I guess, all the major digital platforms right now. It was released by um, Random Media, and those guys are just so awesome. And they saw the movie, and they're like, we want to take this film out. We love this movie. I was like, okay, let's, let's do it. I have even checked it out. I think it's at Walmart.com. So, it's, you know, it's, all, it's in all the traditional places right now, that um, you can see it. Uh, and I'm, I'm just so happy to see people really liking it uh, right now. It was the little movie that could.
1: So what's next for you? what are what are you directing next? Are you acting next? What's the the next thing that you're working on?
0: I'm looking for honestly looking for financing for our next movie. and if you talk to any filmmaker, that is the most difficult thing for a filmmaker. You can have the world's greatest scripts, but you're in an art form where if you don't have money, you're not making you're not bringing your art form to life. So I have some scripts I have that should be made, and um, I'm just looking for producers who want to be part of it, or studios. And the thing is, you know, working in the studios, I learned the story, you know, even James Cameron had trouble even getting Avatar made, even after Titanic. So after learning that, I know how difficult it is. I've gone to the studio, and I'm pitching there, and I'm trying to convince them to say, hey, I want to make this movie at, you know, XYZ Studio. And you just have to convince people. And I don't hold it against them for not wanting to make my movie sometimes because it is such a difficult industry. It's difficult at every avenue. Because when you're an executive studio, you, you're putting your life on the line, your career on the line. When you say, Let's make this movie, because films cost so much today, cost more today in a studio level than they ever have before. You can't make a film at a studio for three hundred thousand dollars or half a million dollars equivalent and all. It's millions of dollars. So everything has to be committed to the point where you know you might score or at least increase your chances of having a success. And as as much as people know me from Poltergeist, I'm a little guy in terms of the world of filmmaking. Um, And there's a lot of big-time directors who are still struggling to get their movies made. So yes, I'd love to make my next movie. And if you're out there in the studio world or want to make a movie with me, reach out.
1: Well, going back to Celebrity Crush for a minute, how did you manage to finance that? And I'm curious too, so many movies that I see, even some of the larger ones, are now turning to crowdfunding, but it almost feels like that ship has sailed.
0: I've had almost no success, honestly, with crowdfunding. I tried that, and I think we raised like $200. It was kind of ridiculous. And I don't know why. I'm not a good salesman, I guess. All right. I don't know. I didn't promote it correctly. I don't understand the internet. Maybe I'm an old soul. Um, So finally, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to throw a couple bucks up myself and go shoot. And then after we did our initial shoot, uh, Tal and GB from Kaiba, they came in, saw the potential, and they're like, we're going to give you, a, not, or not, I'm not allowed to say, not a billion dollars, but enough to make this movie what it can be. And they did. And it was just enough to bring it to where it is. And that's how we kind of did it. And so to make a long story short, I kind of got the ball rolling. Because they say in Wall Street, I got some skin in the game. And I think it's good because I think it's good. I'm not a millionaire. I'm not Steven Silver. And, but I still think you should, as a movie maker, commit yourself to your effort. Put your own money into it. And I know that's like the worst thing to possibly say because everyone says OPM. But if you're a believer and you believe in your own product, you should put a couple bucks up you know, to prove your concept. I'm not saying millions of dollars. Even James Cameron did that long before he was a multimillionaire. He had to go out and shoot in Hawaii, hire his own actors because the studio would not let him, let him make Avatar. And he was shooting in Hawaii with a little like you know, digital camera to, sh- to show proof of concept. So, you know, that's that's pretty much what I had to do on this movie, um, because I think it's really hard to explain your vision, especially when you're mixing tone and genre and it's not. It doesn't have the straight tropes of a traditional like horror movie where you want it to be like this, a little playful, a little fun, a little dark and mix some comedy in there. Um, you know, especially, you know, when you shoot a film as fast as this, uh, it's it could scare people.
1: So I know you are just freaking ancient. You're like one year older than I am. Are you out on the social media platforms? Can people follow you and enjoy um, you know what you have to say?
0: Yeah, I'm on Facebook and I add everyone. I mean, I actually add everyone. I guess you can have 5,000 people when I'm not quite there yet. Uh, but if you're bad and you start harassing me, I'm going to delete, delete you. Uh, cause I've got so many people spamming me or trying to sell me things. And I think that probably happens to normal people too. Not even people have in movies as a kid. So I, I add you and just be forewarned. That's the truth. Be kind. That's all you have to be kind, be loving and be kind. That's, that's all I ask.
1: Oliver, thank you so much. This was wonderful.
0: I appreciate you having me, too. Thanks so much. Oh, make me over.